Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is Marcello Rolando, your host for the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I've been asked from time to time, do you mean Reasonable Voices possessive or plural? And I mean plural. I speak of the Reasonable Voices as my guests who come on the show, and today is one of the people at the top of that list, a Reasonable Voice, Jim Hill. Jim Hill is a 69-year-old African-American who grew up in Georgia, where, by the way, Clinton and Trump are neck and neck, during the days of racial segregation. Now, most of us don't remember the real heat of that. Uh, But in 1974, Jim moved to Oregon and served in the Oregon legislature for 10 years. And in 1992, Hill was elected state treasurer of Oregon, so he knows something about money and finances and the economy, serving for the eight years allowed by law. Good morning, Jim Hill. How are you? I'm doing just fine, and yourself? I, I'm just fine, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I want to be clear that uh, uh, Jim Hill is on the show because he's a financial professional, he's a public servant, politician, and he's the author of The New N-Word. And don't think you know what that means or what it's about, but you will know at the end, by the end of this show. First of all, Mr. Hill, how did you feel about being defeated twice in your run for governor after so much success in that state? Well, as you can imagine, Marcello, it was very, very disappointing. And um, I felt that I had earned my way to... Mm-hmm run for governor, uh, having been elected uh, to the Oregon legislature. I live in Salem, which is, of course, predominantly white, and the districts that I was elected in were predominantly Republican districts, Mm. and then I was elected to statewide office. Uh, But what happens, as you can imagine, uh, with uh, women, people of color, is that a lot of people conclude that that the public is not ready to elect an African-American to the top office of governor. Mm -hmm. I I guess we have to always, we should always, look through the lens of slavery and then 
and then of course the, the bigotry and Jim Crow and all of that so that we understand as my grandmama used to say you know the old saying if you haven't walked in their shoes don't act like you know what they've been through so you know you have to look at things in that and then as a financial professional can you share some insights into what uh, financial institutions deposited on the American people in 2008 or 2007, 2009, that range. We can't quite seem to agree on when the Great Recession started, and we can't agree on when it ended because I'm not sure it has, but you tell us. I, I don't believe that it has ended either, uh, but the conduct was, was simply um, just outrageous. Yes. Uh, when we... As treasurer, when we uh, invested pension funds, for example, we used the prudent person investment rule, which is just being very reasonable and careful. And it was amazing to see the big banks in our country actually take the economy of the United States and indeed the economy of the world and almost bring it to its knees. It mm. was really on the brink of collapse. Yes. What was worse was that it did so. They did so much damage uh, to the American people. Eight point seven million uh, jobs lost. The numbers of bankruptcies. The number of foreclosures, which, by the way, are still going on. Yes. And, and then they basically just got away with it. I didn't think perhaps naively, but I didn't think that anyone could do that much damage mm. and actually get away with it. There were no, uh, no one was arrested, and there weren't even fines mm. for the individuals who perpetrated this, the people at the top of these banks who perpetrated it. And that's when uh, I sadly came to the conclusion that our government has basically been bought from out from under 70% of the population, and we are still paying the price for that. And you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I want you to explain that that number, 70%. We will hear a lot about 99% versus the 1% versus the top tenth of the 1%. But I often say when people say, you know, the conservatives say that corporations are people, and of course, most of us answer, no, that isn't the case. But the one point which I make where corporations are people is that those buildings on Wall Street uh, and those institutions on Wall Street are not what cause this problem. It's the people running them that cause the recession. So in that sense, corporations are people. But having said that, tell us what do you mean by 70%. What is that number for you? Well, the 70% is really, the uh, in, ter in economic terms, it is a, the consumer is 70% of the economy. Mm -hmm. And and it goes really without saying that if 70% of the economy is suffering, and by suffering what I mean is that 70% of the economy, there has not been any growth in the economy of 70% mm. of the country in the last 30 to 40 years. Wow. And as you know, I mean, when you look at the so-called developing countries, what they point to as their idea of making progress is the growth of the middle class. Mm -hmm. 
Now, in many countries, they're growing their middle class, and in our country, we've gotten to the point where we are actually suppressing uh, the middle class, and the implications, uh, it's not just a matter of money. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of of the country, and if you don't have a strong middle class, you don't have a strong, you don't have a strong economy. Well, that brings us then to an assumption of mine, but I'll ask the question anyway. Was the Great Recession the impetus for your writing the new N-word, the white middle class? Uh, Yes, it was, because growing up in the South, segregation was the law of the land. We were second-class citizens by law. Mm -hmm. And the kind of discrimination that we faced, of course, one of the first would be uh, economic discrimination, uh, and the whole idea was to uh, basically to to keep us down by keeping us undereducated, not giving us uh, economic uh, opportunity. And then when the financial crisis occurred, and 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 so many people were hurt, which by the way, mostly white people, mm-hmm. uh, because the middle class, uh, the seventy percent, is predominantly white people. It drew a parallel to me as to how we were treated uh, when I was growing up in the South. Mm-hmm. And the point of the book is trying to make people realize that discrimination now is not just based. It's not just based on race anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's economic class because certain powerful, uh, super wealthy individuals and and corporations have based. They have the power to buy the government. And they have bought it, and I think that what we have is a plutocracy now instead of a, a democracy. And I feel this uh, this stretches beyond uh, the Congress and Washington, D.C., and whatever one might think about the federal level, and certainly into state houses. Do you agree with that? Well, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, the Koch brothers are a primary example of, of buying government, and and I know uh, not only here in Oregon but around the country, they have made great efforts through an an organization called Alec to mm. basically uh, take control of uh, uh, state and local governments as well. Yes, uh, I I think, and I actually I think I watched a, uh, an interview with uh, Charles Cook the other day where he. <laughs> you know, bemused how he doesn't really have a choice in this election, there's no one he wants. And, and of course, he's, he says that if uh, if uh, Hillary Clinton were to change everything she was saying, then maybe he would consider that, but he's not happy with Trump. And I'm thinking, yes, but you've bought Kansas and Missouri and so many other places, ju- thinking ahead. That's what he's done. Well, if the Republicans aren't going to be able to win the White House, I better go own some states. And that's where the Koch brothers and people like them are headed, I think. Your thoughts? Uh, I I absolutely uh, agree with you. And, and it shows just how long-term and systematic yes. their efforts are. This is not just for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Koch brothers and, and others of their ilk have basically been working on this for years and years and spending a lot of money on it for years and years. And they intend to basically control the government. And I think that when you look at the uh, primary elections now, the reason that, that Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders are, are, are doing so well is because people 
are coming to understand uh, that the political establishment, and I, have, I hate to say it because I'm, I'm a Democrat and both parties have basically sold them out. Yes, yes. And, and you know, and the anger, I understand the anger. I, I, I often write about it. The anger, the fear, it's something Noam Kronsky said uh, that I, I particularly appreciated that the thing was living through the Depression, he said, people had hoped that it was going to get better uh, because of themselves, because of FDR, et cetera, the New Deal. But now, even though I think President Obama has, has brought us a long way from where, you know, where we were delivered when he took office, but I think people don't feel it's going to get any better. And frankly, it, it's, it may be getting better, but ever so slowly. And I just don't know what, um, what we, what we, if, if you don't have hope, I don't know what you think. What do you do? What do you, what do you think? Yes. We are very, very fortunate to, to be Americans and to live in the United States because we really do have a democracy. Uh-huh. These people that are, uh, are, are laying waste to the middle class, these are people that are elected. These aren't dictators. Yes. These are people that we that are there because we either we, uh, we have elected them or we have failed to exercise the great power. Uh, that we have in a true democracy, and that is we can we can vote these people in or out. And the truth of it is, is that we are just and, and let's really say where the, the where the fault lies. Mm-hmm. We can blame these plutocrats for trying to take over uh, the government, but they can't do it unless we stand by and let them. Exactly. And we have to exercise our vote. When we don't, when we're seventy percent of the country, and we don't exercise our power through the vote, it creates a vacuum, and these people are much are very willing to step into it. And what I'm trying to do with the book is to try to get people to understand, especially white people, mm-hmm. that the discrimination is 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 against the entire middle class, which is mostly them. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do something about it, uh, we're going to, as, as they tried to do to us when I was growing, growing up in the South, they're going to continue to suppress us. It's not, I mean, we're standing by, and I use the term, and I'll say it, it's, it's like we're being just suckers and chumps, and we're just letting these people lay waste to us, and we're not doing anything about it. And so we have to uh, now become aware, and we have to use the power of our votes, and not just and not be taken in by. Well, for example, you mentioned uh, President Obama. A lot of this has been able; they've been able to do a lot of this by playing to people's fears and prejudices. Mm-hmm. And they uh, and I and you and I know that for I mean the Koch brothers basically declared war on President Obama. Yes. And you have uh, people like Mitch McConnell, who, I mean, he's just an operative. Mm-hmm. He's an operative for the Koch brothers. Mm-hmm. And basically what their their commitment was, was to, and, and this has been brought out by former U.S. Senator uh, Voinovich, a conservative Republican, and he said that their marching orders were, if, if he, Obama, is for it, we are against it. Yes. And it 
matter whether this was some whether what he was proposing was good for the country or not. The thing is, they their main goal, and I and let's be blunt about it, is it, their main goal. It was just racism, and what they wanted to do to make was make his presidency a, a, a total failure. And, you know, and I agree with that, too. And I think they've been pretty obvious about it, frankly, in my opinion. I don't know how people can think otherwise. I mean, some of the things, and not just the, uh, uh, they're good at, at justifying, you know, and naming organizations that sound so patriotic. And, uh, you know, even the Patriots Act, give me a break. But um, but to come up with things that stop the uh, considering, I mean, you can always vote against that's your privilege, but to, but not even considering the president's uh, appointment for uh, the Supreme Court. Now, I know, and both parties play these games just like they play gerrymandering and whatever, and then, you know, and then when it's stuck on them and filibuster, all of that, I, I get that. But at some point, it seems to me it's just bare-bone, obvious... Uh, not just racism, that's bad enough, yes. But, I mean, we're raping the country. Uh, exactly. That's the most important thing. It's, re- it's not about President Obama. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's about the country. And mm-hmm. they won't even talk to him. Mm-hmm. Now, the simple fact is, is whether they like it or not, we elected him as president. We re-elected him as president. And... And Marcello, they won't even talk to him. I know. They won't even speak to him. Anything that, if he's for it, they're against it. And 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 as you said, I understand people have prerogatives in their politics. But the simple thing is, is that the country must come first. The country and its people. And that's, and, and this is, their number one goal was to just defeat his presidency. And I think ultimately, yes, I think the... They used him as a shield to embarrass, but the but by defeating his presidency, they were actually working for people like the Koch brothers, Karl Rove, uh, you know, there's yes. so many, to, to transform the United States of America into a nation divided against itself so that people like the Koch brothers could own it, literally run it. What do you think? Yes, I I absolutely agree with you. I mean... The thing is, is, is that, uh, and what African Americans understand, and what women understand, people of color understand, is that whoever the first of us is, is going to have a difficult time yes. when we break down a barrier. I mean, I mean, Barack Obama is the uh, Jackie Robinson of politics, and and he has gotten the top job, mm-hmm. uh, and and there are those who resent it. But as you said, what they are doing is it's the same old thing of divide and conquer. Yes. Appeal to people's fears, appeal appeal to their prejudices, while they're basically shafting all of us, mm-hmm. the 70%. percent mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're shafting all of us so that they can have their way. I mean, you know, there are people, when people talk about Donald Trump, I will say this at least. At least he's taking his case to the people. Mm-hmm. He is, and as president, he is accountable to the people. The Koch brothers aren't accountable to anyone. Mm. They don't have to run for office. They just bought the. They just bought the government. Mm. Mm. 
All right, we're going to stop on that note. That is some cliffhanger. We will return. Stay with us. We are talking to Jim Hills out in Salem, Oregon. He's the author of the new N-word, The White Middle Class. Stay with us. We'll be right back to talk more about Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, and the selling out of America. Stay with us. Discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In the early 70s, rock music was king, and the Rolling Stones ruled the kingdom. Still, with leeches in management as well as record companies, the Stones themselves had little excess money. In 1971, England's tax rate for high earners was 93%. Wrongly trusting untrustworthy management to have paid their taxes, the Stones were faced with bills they could not pay. Exile was their only choice, as with only 7% of current earnings, they could never catch up. In Stones in Exile, the Stones moved to the south of France. Keith rents an old mansion and a recording studio is set up in its basement. Small rooms, damp conditions, unreliable electricity and all. Soon, it was the place to be. Musicians and hangers-on descended. Party all day, create music all night. A utopian bacchanal. And finally, when it turned dark, as these things do, they knew their album, Exile on Main Street, was complete. Stones in Exile is an up-close documentary. It feels like we are there, palpably experiencing the creative spirit as the Stones birth what many say is their greatest album. We leave with greater appreciation for the enduring popularity of these rock legends and wonder at the long-term survival of those who lived such a life. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at www.indiefilmminute.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is a former member of the Oregon Legislature and former Secretary of Treasury for the state of Oregon and has has written a book called The New N-Word, The White Middle Class. And as I said earlier in the show, you might think you know what that means, but you don't. And here we're about to discuss it. And that brings up uh, Jim Hill has been talking to us about the 70%. That's not usually the percentage we hear thrown around a lot. But he explained that in the first section. That 70% is the middle class that's being hit the hardest by the recession that is still ongoing, primarily because those powerful people like the Koch brothers who have bought our politicians at every level are invested in a long-term plan. It was not just about the White House. Jim, who makes up politically, sexually, uh, racially, who makes up this 70% of, of, of the middle class? Well, first of all, it's, it, it, it's made up of all of us. And, and re- the reason that I use the title that I have for my book is because most of the most of the people, most of the seventy percent, most of the the middle class is white, mm-hmm. and and they are being hit the same way that that all of the rest of us are. They are receiving treatment that used to be reserved for us so-called minorities. Mm-hmm. And regardless of whether someone is a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, Tea Party, or what. If you are the middle class, what the party that you really belong to 
is the middle class is getting shafted party. Mm. And and what they are doing is is that it's the same it's it's really very um it's the oldest trick in the world, which is divide and conquer. And that has been made uh, easier because uh, we have an African-American president, mm -hmm. and there is going to be, and the backlash from that, they have used that to turn, to take people's attention away from what is actually happening to them. Mm. As an African-American, I know what discrimination is. I lived under it. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that I think most white, most white people don't understand that it is that they are the victims of discrimination now, and not only is it hurting us economically. I mean, the American the American dream is being killed, mm. Mm. being strangled, and that's what this country is, is, is all about. And we have to uh, what we have to do is stop being manipulated, start voting, get out and and and, and vote because we have the power. We're so fortunate. You look around the world, the people are fighting and dying just to have what we we have as Americans. Yes. They, they are, they're fighting and dying just to have a chance to have what we are as Americans. And so the 70% is all of us. The 70% is, 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 is people of color, but mostly it's white people. Mm -hmm. And I have to, and it's, and it's women. Yes. I mean, the thing that the, the discrimination against women and the treatment of, of, of women in our country is, is really appalling. The rapes mm. on campus, the rapes in the military, yes. the fact that a high percentage of people who end up in emergency rooms, they're women who have been, uh, who have, have been beaten by their, by their, by their companions, their mm. male companions. And so the thing of it is, is that we have to wake up and we have to exercise our power other than that, because if we don't, the American dream is dead. You know, I'm so appreciative of your sharing and making this analogy that what Koch Brothers Wall Street is doing to predominantly white middle class, but women and all colors in the middle class economically, is very similar to what was done in, the, in, in uh, certainly post-slavery in the discriminating South in which you grew up, Georgia, Jim Crow, and of course now gerrymandering to politicize race. And, and I'd like to point out, I support and agree with you about the, we have the power because all you have to do is look at, as you, as you said, we didn't just elect a black president, we reelected him when the economy was still a mess and everything, I mean everything was against him and still he was reelected. So what that should tell all of us is that we have the power, as you've been saying. But here's a question for you, Jim Hill. Why would the super wealthy turn their discrimination, historically, from black people to the white middle class? And if they've done that, and I think you've made that point, but if they've done that, who's next? It's about money. Uh, the people like uh, the Koch brothers, they just simply don't want to pay more taxes. Yes. They have their, their vision of, of, of government is to have it as small as can be. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's about cheap 
I mean, with, with slaves, I mean, people, we know the horrors of it in terms of personal treatment, but, but slavery was also about economics. Yes. You can't get anything better than free labor. Exactly, yes. And so what we're having now is, okay, look, if you stand back and look at it, unions are under attack, mm. and all of this propaganda about right to work and it is all, it's really all an attempt to pay people, and I'm talking about the middle class, it's just simply to pay people less so you can make more money. Mm-hmm. It really is, really is very simple, and it's not about, there obviously there's racial prejudice mm-hmm. involved, Yes, but it's more about economic prejudice is what is happening now, and that is happening to all of the middle class. We're, I mean... We're the ones that make this country go. Yes, yes. We're the ones who, we're the, if, if it weren't for us, the people at the top would have nothing. And the, 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 and to me, really the saddest and frankly stupidest thing about this is that these people don't understand that the more that the middle class makes, the richer that they get. Yes. We're not stupid. We know that it goes to the top. We know, we know that. What America is about is is the land of opportunity. America is about the American dream, and it's about the about having the opportunity to make a better life for ourselves. And as African as an African American in the South, that's the last thing that they wanted. And now the thing is, if we don't exercise our power by voting, we are going to. It's not just a matter of our lives being worse. This, it's a matter of the country. Mm. The, the stronger the middle class, the stronger the, the, stronger, uh, the economy of, of, of the country. Mm. And this is not, and I want to be very clear about something. This is not about taking from the rich. I mean, they always start yammering about, oh, this is just class warfare, class warfare. No, no. I have absolutely nothing against people about against people being super rich. Mm-hmm. That's not it. But by God, my grandson, as an American, is going to have an opportunity to be successful, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's Amer- the American dream is about everybody having an opportunity. This is not about taking from the rich and giving to the poor. What this is about is investing in all of us, giving yes. all of us an opportunity through education, especially, especially through education, because that's one of the things, as you, I'm sure as, that you know, Marcello, that yes. it used to be back in the days of slavery, that it was a crime yes. to teach a black person how to read. That's right, and there was a reason and, for and that. So what you want to do is keep keep us ignorant, keep us poor, and basically exploit us so that they can get richer. Of course, there's still a lot of that. But even beyond that, if you are fortunate enough to get into a college or university, you are then put into debt. And I like to remind people, everybody thinks college is so expensive, the colleges are making all this money. It's not the colleges that are making the loans. It's the same banks that cause the Great Recession. Talk to me, Jim. Well, it's uh, that that the amount that you're talking about is one trillion dollars wow. of student debt. One trillion. That's with a T. 
And, and what that has done, and the reason that we have that is because when the banks, when the big banks basically, when they almost complete, when they almost killed the economy, mm. when these young people were coming out of out of college, there were no jobs. Mm. Mm-hmm. There were no jobs, and so they couldn't they couldn't pay back these student loans. And now I and the, there's even propaganda that you get get from uh, from these people saying, "Oh well, a college education isn't worth it. A college education isn't worth it." Let me tell you, as an African American, I mean they did. It, growing up in the South, they did everything that they could to keep us from getting an education because they know that knowledge is power. Yes. And the difference between, like, the, the Koch brothers and all these other people who who just want things to just kind of trickle down to us, I mean, look at Andrew Carnegie. Mm. I mean, you know, like, well, this guy, he could be quite ruthless, let's be clear about it. But he did get to a point where he said, the only thing that makes sense is to give this money away. Mm-hmm. And we see it with, with Warren Buffett. We see it with Bill Gates. Everybody's not like the, you know, not the Colts, like the Colts, yes, but absolutely. What Carnegie did was that he built libraries. He wanted to give people knowledge. He wanted to give people an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and again, I emphasize this. It's an opportunity to make a better life for yourselves. That is what America is about. Yes. It's about everybody being a, having an opportunity to make more money and have have a decent life. But the but what he did is, I mean, he built libraries all over the country, which of course in those days was the best way to give people knowledge. Yes. You give people knowledge. Knowledge is power, and knowledge uh, helps people to make better lives for themselves. You know, I want to make certain we cover two things, Jim. Thank you for that. One is that your, I know it's in your book, We Are the Economy, Stupid, just as we are the voting power. But also, I want to make the point, and and hold those two thoughts, because I want you to speak to those, but also, I'd like to make the point to that that 1% even, because my feeling is, we're really talking about the 1% of the 1% being the incredibly wealthy who are taking advantage of and trying to limit everyone else including the 70% middle class. But there's that 9.9% of the top 1%. My feeling is once you've depressed the poor, which has been done, once you are depressing uh, and limiting the middle class, which is being done, who do you turn to next if you want absolute power? And I think that the people behind the gated community who are not quite in the top tenth of the 1% need to realize they are next. But first, we are the voter, we have the power, we are the economy, stupid. Jim. Well, the thing of it is, is that what they have to understand is if you, if, if the middle class, if the income of the middle class is not growing, or in truth actually declining, who's going to buy their stuff? Yes. Who is going to go out and buy these things? People... I watch CNBC. I'm a financial person uh, at heart, mm-hmm. and they keep talking about uh, how the economy is still lagging, how it's still kind of weak, and so forth. And what they are ignoring, and this is what, and this is to me the crux of it, is that the more money that the middle class makes, the more money that these companies and 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 these super rich people 
that's the, the more that they're going to make. Mm-hmm. If yes. you don't have, if you are, are, are suppressing 70% of the economy, who's going to buy your stuff? Yes. And, and who's going to buy these goods and services? And, and the thing of it is, is that the more money that the middle class makes, the more money that they make. And I don't know, that part of it uh, is just, um, is, is, is ridiculous. But they, the, the blinders are on, and somehow they think that uh, they can suppress the middle class and somehow that the economy is going to grow. It's not going to grow. It, it can't grow. Mm. And your point about about what I, I guess I would call the the upper middle class or the people that are that are in the category of being below the one percent of the one percent, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to suffer as as well. Yes, because at some point their businesses are not going to grow. Their income is not going to grow because there's nobody out there to buy things. I, I, I'm with you. I don't know what they're thinking about. It's like they think they could, they're going to live in domed cities and and where's the air going to come from? The air is being polluted to it. They're going to fly off to Mars. I still think, I know it sounds crazy, but I think they, I think they, they think they're invincible and they've got these plans that just don't seem to have much promise to them. Look, we're going to have to go soon, but I want to make certain everyone knows how to get a hold of your book. Again, I've been talking to Jim Hill, who is the author of the new N-word, The White Middle Class. He is a financial professional, in addition to an author, a public servant. He's worked in the government, in the legislature in Oregon, and has been the Secretary uh, Treasury of Oregon. And he says the power is in our right to vote and that the we are the economy stupid. So, Jim Hill, how can we get a hold of the new N-word, the white middle class? Well, uh, the, the way to get a hold of the book, and thank you for the giving me the opportunity, it is inkwaterbooks.com slash the new N-word. And how did you come up with that title? I came up with the title because it was really it was really something to see to look around and see white people being treated the way that we were treated mm. and and one of the main examples is something that you experienced in your part of the country was it was when super hurricane sandy mm. uh, hit yes and there were 66 members of congress all republicans who actually voted against allocating money to help victims of such an incredible disaster. Yes. When you get to that point, you're being mean. And that's what touched me in comparing what's happening to uh, white people today as to how uh, they treated us uh, in the South when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, they wouldn't even put politics aside for a natural, a huge natural uh, disaster. Mm. Tell me, uh, uh, we do have to go, but I've got to hear from you about, what do you think then? Um, I, I, I feel people, very different people, but pe- politically anyway, but people are running to uh, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump basically for the same reasons. They feel like they've been deserted and, and they're stuck. They're not good. They can't get out of it. And this is it. 
how do you turn the anger on the right and the, the, the optimism on the left into some kind of unity for this country? How do you get these people to realize they are, in my opinion anyway, uh, especially in the case of Trump, voting against themselves? What do you do? What I try to do in the book is just to, to get people to step back and look at what is happening. See, white people are not be, are not used to being discriminated against. Yes. I mean, they think that that's something, oh, that's just those minorities. Well, the, the biggest losers in the financial crisis were, 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 were white men. Mm. And I just, and, and so what you do is you put facts in front of people, and, I, and obviously with the candidacies of Donald Trump and, and Bernie Sanders are showing that people, at least at some level, are starting to realize it because they're turning away from the establishment. Yes. And, and so what you have to do is, is just, look, first of all, I say to them, look, be, and I say this in my book, you know, be a bigot. But, but at the same time, look at what's look at your bank account. Yeah. Look at what's happening to your community. White people, black people, all of us. We are getting the middle class is getting the shaft. It's mm. just and it doesn't matter. And so what you what what your race is and, and, and any of those issues. And the thing of it is, is that and I have to say this appeal. I appeal to patriotism. Mm. Mm-hmm. If you love this country which all of these people do, if you love this country, you have to have a strong middle class because a strong middle class is what's going to make our country better. Yes. And it's not just, uh, if, if, if we continue to suppress the middle class, it is bad for the country. And I guess the question is, are your prejudices or whatever more important to you, or is the United States of America more important to you? And I say this, if you love, if you love this country and you want it to prosper, you better have a strong middle class and look at, at and step back and look and stop being manipulated by these people who are trying to do the same old thing of dividing and conquer, get people fighting each other, and they'll do their dirty work for us. And there it is. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been speaking today, this afternoon, with Jim Hill, the author of The New N-Word, The White Middle Class. Having grown up in Georgia and suffering um, from segregation, prejudice and bias, bigotry, Jim Crow, all of that, he's experienced it, and he's telling the middle class, regardless of your color, your gender, even though the middle class, 70% is... Uh, 70% of uh, consumerism of the nation and is mostly white. Nonetheless, regardless of gender, regardless of, of your race, if you are in the middle class, you are being economically discriminated against in the same way that black people were discriminated against in the South in which he grew up. I think I didn't uh, oversimplify it or or take I'll anything away from it. All right, then. Thank you so much, Jim Hill. Give us one more time uh, the website where we can get the new N-word, the white middle class. Thank you so much, Marcello. It is inkwaterbooks.com slash the new N-word. Excellent. Jim Hill, we wish you all the very best, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much, Marcello. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Bye now. 
Bye-bye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Fed Up came into and out of the movie theater so fast you might think that film distributors had been pressured to get it out of circulation before the public had a chance to see and react to it. Still, for anyone concerned about the long-term health of American children, Fed Up is a must-see film. For anyone interested in the growing epidemic of obesity in America, Fed Up is a must-see film. And for anyone wanting to understand why losing weight is virtually an impossible task in our culture, Fed Up is a must-see film. Its message is that the Food and Drug Administration, the medical community, and thousands of individual experts have been giving us exactly the wrong information about what will keep us healthy. And they have been persuaded to do so by the packaged food industry. No one wants to believe in a vast conspiracy, not really, but the researched facts assembled for this documentary speak otherwise. Diet and exercise don't really count for much at all, say the filmmakers, not while we are being sabotaged by the excess sugar that permeates virtually all packaged foods. Don't believe it? Watch Fed Up, and then decide for yourselves whether you can safely ignore it. Fed Up, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Death of a Nation On Memorial Day, we remember those who made the greatest sacrifice, but seldom acknowledge those who didn't returning from battlefields, brain-damaged or missing limbs, to families changed forever. On Veterans Day, we wave our flags and parade in shrinking uniforms, celebrating those too often forgotten into when Johnny comes marching home to homelessness, underemployment, and VA neglect. On December 7th and September 11th, we remember sneak attacks but ignore our use of nuclear bombs. Bells ringing, we weep silently but praise preemptive invasion into a nation with no 9-11 connection because the world is a better place without its tyrannical leader, while failing to indict our own. Whether passing, loss, passed away, Gone home, transference, moving on, crossed over, assumption or ascension. Some rise above death, while others crumble under the debris of denying the truth about death's war toll on the living. The few good wars, the American Revolution, 1812, Civil War, World War II, a maimed veteran can count on one remaining hand. Still, we praise leaders who systematically launch Americans off to fight for their country while counting the rewards of sacrificing our youth on the ensconced altar of corporatism. Truth decay is at its most devastating when denied the drill of eyes wide open to being cast as pawns in the chess games of the obscure. 
sadly the tragically tarnished so proud of family members dying for their country are consistent customers and constituents of the very puppeteers who profit most from wars dead or alive it's not national pride that is the enemy but rather those who manipulate the constitution to misdirect the valor of proud patriots until like tattered old glory with faded colors they become a forgotten symbol denied truth with each deposit of war's perpetual blood sweat and tears most often death is not quick to diminish our memories fracture our relationships or darken our doorstep for death is not the instrument of destruction that would be man's infernal grab for power breeding insatiable need for more as for the suits on the street tugging at five-sided foggy bottom and congressional bottom feeders it's the thrill of rats racing to turn race against race against being united against peace all for the high risk of risking others they take another spin at the wheel of too big to jail death like new life comes with the tide of rigged oil spills erupting across land and sea like volcanic lava coal ash and tornadoes reshaping life and land death can be the pot of gold at the end of the middle-class rainbow for the wealthiest we built that death is the end-of-day last call of too many americans ignored medicare refusing to cover cost of hearing loss Congress keeping comparatively limited funding for Alzheimer's research at previous levels, and proud that they didn't sequester it. Is it not more honorable to honor our dead by protecting Social Security for spousal survivors, finding a cure for those living maimed by war and underfunded NIH research? If a mind is a terrible thing to waste, then aren't the lives of veterans, firefighters, climate change scientists, military gays, and doctors defending a woman's right to choose? And how about unarmed minorities dying by police for sitting in their cars, making eye contact, playing with toy guns in the park, or bicycling while black? Death comes to America when patriotic phonies use religion to convince we the people that flag-waving is enough, while in some neighborhoods gun salutes mean mass incarcerations and unprosecuted murder of children in city parks and on public streets, to protect the wealthy few from losing their international power over our nation. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Com website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.